Are you an architect, designer, contractor, or engineer? Modeler.com is a platform connecting architects and other specifiers with building product manufacturers. Modeler.com's engaged network of over 240,000 architects, designers, and construction professionals use Modeler.com's tools to discover, discuss, and specify products appropriate for building projects. We at KZSU Stanford thank Modeler.com for the generous underwriting of production and broadcasting costs for The Modern Architect. KZSU, Stanford University's FM radio station, broadcasting across the Bay Area on 90.1 FM and across the world at kzsu.org. From the campus of Stanford University, this is the Modern Architect radio show and podcast featuring one-on-one interviews with renowned and cutting-edge architects, influencers, and sustainability leaders. The show and podcast will inform, educate, and illuminate the transformation, joy, and inspiration architecture brings to our cities, communities, and lives. Hosted by architecture aficionado and principal of Accurate, Tom Dioro. Thank you, Charlotte. For our guest today, please welcome Jennifer Munoz, architect and principal of Gen M Architecture, a full-service architecture and design studio specializing in custom residential and multifamily projects. Jen also teaches interior architecture at California State University, Sacramento. For more information, feel free to visit jenmarchitecture.com. That's jenmarchitecture.com. Hello, Jennifer. We're honored and really excited to have you on the Modern Architect Show today. Thank you very much. Hi, Tom. Thank you so much. It's an honor to be here. Oh, the honor is ours, really. I've seen your work. That's why uh, we reached out to you and said, oh, I'd love, hopefully she, uh, she'd love to be on the show, and here you are. So yeah. we're, we're very, very grateful. Jennifer, can Thank you... Thank you. Sh- I'm happy to be here. Awesome. Now, Jennifer, can you share with us, if you can recall as far back as you can recall, when you felt that you wanted to get into architecture or design? I mean, was it like a galvanizing moment or some epiphanies? If you're at liberty to share with us. Yeah, you know, I I wish there were a galvanizing moment and maybe I just (laughs) haven't discovered it yet. (laughs) But I think that the influence was probably from growing up around my father. He's a carpenter and he he was always building something, you know, building a tree house in our backyard or building pieces of furniture and teaching me how to use the wood shop as a young child. And that kind of led me to a place in high school when I had an opportunity for an internship and I chose an architecture firm. And lo and behold, I met a bunch of wonderful people there and they were all very good mentors and teachers and very influential in in many aspects of life as friends and colleagues and teachers um, as architecture professionals. And from there, I decided to go to architecture school and I fell in love with it. And studio culture was just a, a magical thing. I went to the University of Virginia in Charlottesville and had a wonderful curriculum there, you know, basic hand drawing techniques, Mm -hmm. learning abstract thinking, learning representation. And it was just kind of, I remember the moment when it clicked, when I understood what it meant to think abstractly about space Uh 
and that was when I think that was the moment. Maybe that was the galvanizing moment I'm looking for. But it was it was magical. It was it was like a whole world opened, and it, I've never looked back from there. Oh, and we're all grateful. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> I love that it's, you, you say the, the word magical. I've not heard any uh, previous guests use the word magical. To you, what does uh, magical mean? Because it's uh, awesome. <laughs> I think is. for me, it was understanding. You know, as growing up, I never really thought about buildings having meaning beyond being basic need, you know, shelter and places where we sleep and gather. And those are very important things, obviously. But to to be able to understand that a building can emerge out of a out of an abstract concept that's related to very specific contextual ideas like site and solar orientation and history and people and culture and material and you know any number of things any number of diagrams that you can use to create a to create a building concept i think that was that for me is magical and that continues to be magical yeah and how about your uh, clients and even your students do you see a sense of wonder in them when you're uh, instructing or sharing with them your experiences to be 100% honest, some of them. I would be lying if I said all of them. And that's, I think, I think most teachers and architects can relate to that. But I think that that's the challenge of being a professional in, in the building industry and being a teacher is, as I was inspired by my teachers in school, I was, you know, led to this place of understanding and truly eye-opening moments seeing the things that they taught me. So that has kind of inspired me to bring that into my practice and also bring that into my teaching. And it's not always easy and you're not going to win them all, but <laughs> it's definitely something that I aspire to. Yeah. How much did the uh, architecture school at University of Virginia inspire you? Incredibly. It was, I still am inspired by my teachers from UVA. I continue a mentorship with them. They're mentoring me, obviously. But I, I think that it continues to be rewarding. And the formative Architecture 101 with Sonda Iliescu, she was an incredible, incredible inspiration and um, so effective at teaching basic concepts like how to draw a diagram. And Peter Waldman, I'm dropping names that probably nobody knows unless they went to the, the yeah, school. But please do, though. Continue to, because they, they, has, <laughs> they have meaning to you. Yeah, and they're, I'm not sure if they're both still teaching, but um, their classes were just phenomenal. Lessons in making and lessons of the lawn were the two first, my first classes in architecture there. We learned, you know, in complement to reading about architecture and learning reading about the lessons of the university and how it was created by Thomas Jefferson and the meaning of the academical village. We were also learning how to draw diagrams and learning how to really understand how this project came to be and, and in turn learning how to design our own projects and learning how to understand how to draw and how to represent abstract concepts. Oh, neat. Very neat. Now, touch on that hand-drawn technique. It sounds like that still uh, very much is a connection with you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and this is something that I hope never goes away. And being a relatively young professional in, in architecture, I think people are often surprised that I'm so connected to the tactile thinking and 
on the one hand, I'm very, very much involved in the high tech, you know, mm-hmm. um, building information modeling. But I always start with sketches, as I I would hope that any good designer would, and that's something that I definitely push in in school and in my teaching. Is you have to draw, you just have to, and I know it's it's awkward at first. <laughs> it's it was awkward for me at first, honestly. Was it really? Um, so it wasn't. Yeah, I'm surprised. Oh, yeah. that it was especially from <laughs> your uh, your experience sharing how, how you were inspired and you, you know relatively young that this was more of a calling than an actual vocation. How was it surprising for you? Have you ever tried to, to draw, Tom? <laughs> yes. Yes, I ha- I do. Yeah. I actually do almost as we speak. I have I have a tendency to doodle. Oh, that's good. That's a good passive, <laughs> no, that's not, that's passive not, thing. Yes, and I also like to write people with handwritten notes. I, oh, doing, beautiful. So. Oh, wow. Thank beautiful. you. Beautiful. Yeah, because sometimes I do it and say I question myself, like, why am I doing this? I could simply text them or send them. Oh, no. But I see nice cards, and I'm such a sucker for, you know, when the cards have, uh, they're available, new cards. And you've seen the design on some hand, on cards? They're beautiful. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, oh, they are great if I send to such and such, or so, especially my mother. Like, and I send them because I think of her, and she goes, oh, I received your card. I'm so happy you like them because I send them. Yeah. And not everyone, of course, you send them and you don't hear anything. Here's what's interesting mm-hmm. about that. Even though I've heard from years later that people have, have said, I got your card. I'm so sorry. I never responded. Not that I asked them to, but they still right. remembered. And I've gone into offices where the card I've written is pinned in their wall or on their desk. And it's oh, years wow. later. It's just because it might have been a design of a, you know, an artist. Uh, this is actually a real one. A watercolor of, a, of an elephant. And mm-hmm. they, they like like the card, so yeah. The, when we got off a bit on the handwritten card, that <laughs> tactile bit you're talking about, how much do you feel it actually really impacts the entire project? Tremendously, really. I think. Wow. I think it's con- it's a constant through the process of pushing print and laying trace paper and thinking through through the hand and thinking. You know, as you move your hand across the paper, you're kind of feeling the space out on a smaller scale. And I think that happens, that happens throughout, you know, throughout schematic design, throughout the the very beginning of a site study of, of a project and all the way through construction details. I, I mean, most architects will be doing hand drawings throughout the entire process. And I think it's, it's a tremendous positive impact on, on the, outcome yeah now where did you grow up jennifer (laughs) that's a good question okay sometimes i actually don't know the answer (laughs) i was actually a a navy brat so my dad was in the navy and we moved quite a bit so i started in florida moved to virginia moved to maine moved back to virginia moved to japan and then moved back to virginia again and then now i'm in california i moved out to california for graduate school wow so it's quite quite well traveled. <laughs> yes. Now, how would you say that that sense of adventure impacted you as a person and in you as an architect, if you've ever even kind of quantified that? And if it's too heavy it's a, a tough question. Thing to, oh, no, not at all. Not at all. It's definitely something I think about often. And I think it's influenced me in a, in a very positive way. And I think I'm very, I'm very adaptable 
to different situations. I'm adaptable to new people and open-minded about new situations and new people. I think it, it has definitely instilled some sense of adventure in me and I'm, you know, I'm always planning my next vacation and even when I'm on vacation, planning my next vacation. Are you um, <laughs> Oh yeah. But it's, yeah, I, I think that it's made me feel constantly like I need to be finding something new and exciting about this world and about the people in it and about new ideas that I can kind of fold into my design projects. And I also think that being able to see architecture of different cultures growing up has definitely influenced me to think outwardly about different ideas of of home and different ideas about how we relate to the buildings we, we inhabit. How about Japan? How did that influence you? If you can recall or even want oh to Oh my share. gosh. Really? That, what a, what a, a beautiful country. <laughs> oh. What a beautiful country and culture. I think the rich history of architecture and the traditions of, I mean, specifically I'm thinking of um, the Issei shrine and how it's constantly rebuilt and I think it's a 10 year cycle or maybe it's less than that. I'm not, I have to brush up on my history, but it's basically built and rebuilt on two adjacent sites over the course of years. And I don't know how many hundreds of years has been happening, but it's this idea of kind of being reborn and recreated. And I think that just the kind of the proximity of these ancient, beautiful shrines and temples to very high-tech bustling cities and being able to leave a a very busy city center and walk to a very peaceful tranquil shrine is just incredible and that contrast and the the moment of escape and peace that is allowed through that is just incredible and something that i think is easily correlated to ideas about home and, you know, being able to have moments of pause and feeling at peace in the spaces that we live in. You're, I was going to touch on your ideas of home or place and then your escape and peace. It sounds like you're somewhat also, it's very spiritual, the entire experience of architecture and building to you. If I'm reaching, correct me, please. But <laughs> I think it is. And I think, I don't think that that totally enters the dialogue through every project that we work on, but I think that's the core that's the core value in, in terms of, you know, why is this work meaningful? It's meaningful because you're you know, you're helping people get to a place in their own lives, in their own homes where they feel more at peace in their in their space and less chaotic or, you know, able to have their space feel like theirs and it's their story that they're able to to write. Yeah, interesting you say their story. So how are how are you able to ascertain their story through their experiences and their their vision based on your understanding of the reality of actually making it happen? Is there a process? That's a tough, that you- that's a tough process, honestly. Okay. <laughs> I think it mostly because it takes time and not everyone is willing to take that time. So it's it's kind of a you have to almost convince people to really take pause and think about things. I get very nervous when clients look at a drawing and just say, yep, it's perfect because that's, it, it means to me that they're not really 
thinking about it or they're not really taking the time to digest and try to understand because floor plans are not easy to read for everyone. And I think it, you know, it, it needs to, and, and that paired with the kind of 3d drawings and the walkthroughs and the simulations and renderings is it's important to really sit with those ideas and digest them. Excellent. This is the modern architect KZSU Stanford 90.1 FM. Everyone deserves equal access to housing. Discrimination in housing based on your race, national origin, disability, age, marital status, sexual orientation, or because you have children is illegal. To report housing discrimination, call ECHO Housing. That's E-C-H-O Housing. Fair housing counselors will inform you of your rights and help you take action. ECHO Housing has offices throughout the East Bay and in Palo Alto. To get help or donate, call one 855 Ask Echo toll free at two seven five three two four six. We're talking today with Jennifer Munoz, architect and principal of Gen M Architecture, a full service architecture and design studio. For more information, feel free to visit genmarchitecture.com. That's genmarchitecture.com. Uh, Jennifer, what recent projects have you worked on or are you working on currently if you're at at Liberty to share with us? Well, one that's been actually published quite a bit is the Switch House, which was actually an accessory dwelling unit on a big property in Midtown Sacramento. It was a more more mid-century inspired um, project, more contemporary details than than what I've been typically working on recently, which I like. And it was featured on the AIA home tour, the Experience Architecture Week last year. So that was one of my my more more exciting recent projects, but Mm -hmm. that's not to say that every project's not exciting. I've been doing a lot of custom residential projects, and one that I'm particularly excited about is getting built here shortly. They're going to break ground, I think, this month. It's up in Clear Lake in Lake County. It's a 2,500-square-foot home, kind of modern timber structure, modern mountain home, we're kind of calling it. So that one's one's on the books. That one's slated for construction coming up here soon. And then a couple more that I've been excited about are some multifamily mixed-use projects in Sacramento. I'm hoping to get more involved in the housing scene in California. It's an important topic, as you know, (laughs) just with where we are with our housing climate in this state. So that's been particularly exciting, too. Now, how about being so in Sacramento? Do you have an influence or have you worked on any prospective projects that can influence legislation in favor of architects or, or builders? Hmm. Well, I'm involved with the AIA. Okay. We're working on a statewide initiative actually to create a website about accessory dwelling units. This has kind of become an important topic recently as, again, with the housing the housing crisis sure. and whether or not ADUs, accessory dwelling units are the answer to that. I don't think that they necessarily are, but they are a part of it and they definitely help um, in some ways. So... That's been an important one. I also was involved in recently, the city of Sacramento held a 
open competition, design competition about the waterfront. Oh, the nice. old Sacramento waterfront. Yeah. So that was really fun. It was, <laughs> I was involved with some former classmates and colleagues. It was a very small team, about three of us. And we took on this massive project to redesign the waterfront together. Just threw our hats in the ring and, you know, <laughs> why not? Yeah. No, how did it so, go? Do they make the, have they made their decision yet as like the winner? And if, if you do win, do they commission you? They did make a decision. Okay. So it was actually open to public vote. Oh. And I don't think that the city planned to actually pick one team. So they, they hired five big teams to actually get paid to do some schematics. And those five teams were up for a public vote. And I, I believe it was LPA was the team that won. And we, we definitely didn't win. Oh. Did <laughs> you see their design? That wasn't really the goal. Yeah, it was awesome. Have, okay. you, have you had a chance to look at it? No, where can, where, where can our listening audience go to even review them if it's still up? If you search for Waterfront Idea Makers, okay. the City of Sacramento's website has all of the ideas up in the gallery online. So okay. it, was a, it was a pretty awesome thing to be involved in and a yeah. huge undertaking and actually... Today, just read the read the news that the city approved a forty seven million dollar budget to actually work on the waterfront. So, oh I think my. big things are happening there. Oh yeah, <laughs> pretty cool. Yes. So, what else are there um, facets to the project that you worked on the waterfront project that you were able to take to your practice as well? That's a great question because they are very different scales. And that's something that I actually enjoy is switching in switching from big ideas to big kind of urban planning ideas back to small scale um, home projects and even down to custom fabrication projects. You know, we've done some custom light fixtures for some projects and really love that the, the brain switches from, you know, really minutia to big picture thinking. And I think it's important to be able to do both in this, mm-hmm. in this profession. But to answer your question, I'm, I'm not sure. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I'm not sure how they relate yet. But I think the I think the way that I was picturing my involvement on that was wanting to be involved on the city scale and in the public forum, and in terms of thinking about what this city can really become, because it's developing so quickly, and I think that it's important to have designers and architects and landscape architects and, you know, urban planners involved in, you know, thinking about the big picture as opposed to just letting things happen and then then figuring it all out because that's not a good recipe. (laughs) I've got a strong position on this, Jennifer, is I believe that uh, city mayors of every city here in the U.S., probably anywhere in the world, but we'll stick with the United States, ought to have a what's been called a chief design officer. Los Angeles has a, a chief design officer named Christopher Hawthorne and Mayor Garcetti has him. And 
I just think uh, an architect or an architect or would see the entire picture and the entire grid much clearer than if you just had people who are in planning or you know whatever the, their responsibilities are currently. If you had mm-hmm. an architect in that space, what's your thought or feeling of this? I hope it doesn't get you in any trouble, but because I, I have this <laughs> this this very strong stance, I'm actually moving towards that with even some of uh, people that we've talked to, mayors and civic leaders, to to implement that. What's your uh, your thought on this? I completely agree. I think it'd be wise to have that board or have a, you know, have a team of creative people, architects, landscape architects, um, Mm -hmm. and urban planners all together meeting about these things. And I know that, I know that cities do that and I know that they have um, initiatives to involve the community, but to what degree that gets, you know, to what level of influence they have, I'm not, I'm not totally sure. I'm not, I'm not, heavily involved in government, but I do think it's important as architects to be involved in whatever way we can. And I don't know that I'm completely strategic about it, nor do I know exactly how my involvement is going to influence things all the time. But I think just showing up and (laughs) having an opinion is important. Yeah. Yeah. How much of your work would you say is people relations versus design or any of the, uh, you know, the tactile, the service end of, of your practice, if you've ever kind of thought of, you know, I deal with people 50% and work is 50. I don't know if you've ever done that. Oh my sort. gosh. Definitely. Is it really? So definitely more so people. <laughs> I think, yeah, definitely wow. people and running a small business. I, oh, I do small. all of the, the things. So I wear all the hats. I, I do the, the books, I do the marketing and, I do the design and I manage the employees and I also do the client relations. And so it's less design right now than I would like. Really less Um, design even. Yeah. I think if any, any small business owner you ask would (laughs) would probably say the same. It's, and it's something that I'm actually hoping to, to work on this year. Um, I've, I've started working on it, you know, delegating, delegating the things I'm less interested in and, putting more time towards design and time towards things that I'm passionate about, but definitely people are something that I am passionate about. And I think that's part of why I love my job, being able to create those relationships. And one of my favorite former clients and now a friend, he always says it's all about relationships and Mm -hmm. it's just something that's stuck with me. Yes, it really is, isn't it? I mean, I think it's true with every profession. Is this something recent that you've uh, discovered or, you, you know, this was several years ago about the relationship? Oh, that, that was probably four, four or five years ago at this point, but definitely a principle that repeats itself in my in my brain on a regular basis. Yes. We have one of our guests uh, who's considered one of the uh, fathers of Silicon Valley, Steve Blank, and he had shared that uh, most businesses unfortunately spend more time working in their business versus on their business. And uh, Mm. I I asked for the explanation of that. And it was, I'll be blunt, get out of the building in that all the facets to your business, you know, the accounting, the, the administrative administration, the, the booking, all those are important, obviously, but someone needs to get out of the building to be interfacing with prospective either clients or, or happy clients or the public or civic involvement. And that will actually 
build your practice more so than the working in the business. Now you may not right. agree, but this, it was just yesterday. So, so it's pretty fresh. And, and he wrote it in his, his book as well as get out of the building. And uh, yeah, it sounds simplistic. I completely agree. Yeah. So how do you get out of the building? <laughs> or when you do, you know, are you part of obviously the AI in Sacramento? Are you part of chambers of commerce? Are you part of any uh, civic initiatives? Yeah, I definitely, I think it's a, it's a tricky balance when you're a creative to balance the, you know, standing up from your desk, walking away, going to see the people, going to get involved and balancing that with actually sitting down and taking the time to work out the design because that takes so much time on its own. And to do that well takes so much time. So as a business person, as an, as an architect who owns a business, um, balancing that creative time that's required and that we're most passionate about with going out and meeting people and being potential clients and going to meetings and um, getting involved with the local wow. professionals is, you know, it, it takes a lot of practice <laughs> yeah. to figure out what's, what's the right balance. And I don't know if I've figured it out yet, so... I'll definitely let you know. <laughs> okay, that's great. How did you choose to live in Sacramento? Was it for work, pleasure? Yeah, I actually uh, moved here for a job opportunity, and okay. that was about three years ago at this point. And I was um, I was asked to be the in-house architect for a construction company. Uh -oh. So they were they were kind of hoping to do a design build model, sure. which I was super excited about, and um, it was a great opportunity to be able to establish my own practice while on a payroll <laughs> within the, you know, I was under the umbrella of another company and mm -hmm. got to figure out what, what worked for me. And so that was why I moved here and then that didn't end up working out. And I decided to start my business about a year and a half ago. So I'm pretty, pretty new and new at this. I love it. What well, sounds like you've, your learning has been accelerated. We'll go into a break and we'll come right back. This is the modern Architect, KZSU Stanford, 90.1 FM. Adina Academy is a nonprofit private school devoted to teaching students with the gift of dyslexia. The school accepts dyslexic students between the ages of 7 and 14 who are bright and otherwise capable learners. Class sizes are intentionally kept small with a teacher-child ratio of no more than 6 to 1 to ensure dyslexic learners get the attention they need. If you'd like to know more or to donate to the school, visit athenaacademy.org or call 650-543-4560. We're talking today with Jennifer Munoz, architect and principal of Gen M Architecture, a full-service architecture and design studio. For more information, you can visit genmarchitecture.com. Again, genmarchitecture.com. Dot com. Jennifer, did you ever envision yourself starting and running your own business? Absolutely. You did? Okay. Great. <laughs> Absolutely. When was that galvanizing? It was always... <laughs> if it was a moment or moments. I don't... I think this has always been in the back of my mind. It's always been something that I wanted to do and kind of a bucket list item. <laughs> yeah. But it definitely is something that I've always thought about and... I think the time, the time and place just happened to be right. And I just kind of knew it was, it was time. So honestly, wasn't expecting it to happen so quickly, but 
I'm I'm definitely on board. <laughs> yeah, it's, so. it, it sounds like it. So how do you relate to, other than your existing employees and clients, any sort of support, that sounded bad, support group for entrepreneurs or small business <laughs> people where, where you can share the experiences because there's such a major difference between even a, say, a, you know, a chief marketing officer and a small business owner, you know, someone might be that chief marketing officer for a, you know, $1 billion company, but yet someone who's running a small business may have even greater and more challenges. So how do you, if you are able to navigate to or find people who share similar experiences running and operating a successful business? That's a great question. And I, th- I think maybe I didn't answer your question earlier about the involvement. So I, I am involved in the AIA locally, yes. yeah, you, which is a great, great resource, great people, really good network, awesome bunch of um, architects who just trying to make Sacramento a better place, which is really cool. And they've been very helpful. But I think that the more support I've gotten has been from friends and colleagues that have done this themselves. Because I think until you're actually in it, until you until you really start a business, you don't understand. And I didn't understand either. <laughs> yeah. What was some so, of your biggest challenges running a business? If you're a little bit, you don't have to share, but I just thought I'd. Uh, no, no, good. definitely. Yeah. I think it's, it goes back to an earlier question. It's definitely balance. It's being able to do it all. And um, it's hard. And honestly, I don't, I don't really want to do it all, but there's just, you know, I don't want to do all the bookkeeping. I don't want to do the administrative aspect, but as a small business owner, I have to. So yeah. um, I think that that balance with the creative pursuit is is the hardest part. Yeah. And obviously also just, you know, making sure the boat stays on course and having a course and knowing knowing what your, what your goals are. Terrific. What is uh, your, if you've thought of a solution to the, the fire in Notre Dame, as an architect, do you have a, have you have your own ideas or thoughts or perspective solutions on that that uh, you're willing to share? You mean in terms of the, the rehab? Re- yes. Well, I think that it's a worthwhile investment to refurbish. Is that the question you're asking? Uh, actually, it's even deeper than that. Like, I, I would love it if, if you were asked the question. This, this may be a bit heavy, but if uh, Jennifer, we've selected you to completely restore this. Have you ever thought of that? I mean, no, that's really weighted and maybe far-fetched, but maybe not. Maybe not. You know, that the, mm-hmm. this will always happen in our lifetime. There'll be landmarks, just these sacred places that for whatever reason will no longer be and it'll be up to someone to restore it if they can do it. So mm-hmm. this is just the most recent and most, uh, you know, well-known. Mm-hmm. Do you have an so idea? Are you asking how I would do it? Yeah, I'd love to hear it if you want to take a, if you want to take a, have a go at it. That is a that's a tough question because I, yeah, I, I think so. this is I'm sorry. <laughs> one. No, it's a good one. Okay. It's a great question. I like a good challenge. So I think this is a something that we're up against consistently in terms of do we embrace or or more so do we replicate history, history of architecture, or do we embrace it and move forward and further the dialogue of architecture? Or do we do both at the same time? And I think if you, you're asking someone who who went to the University of Virginia, who Cavaliers. was taught, yeah, but 
I'm I'm more thinking about the Thomas Jefferson. I, know. Okay. <laughs> I didn't really go to many football games. Too busy in studio. So the idea that we're not we're not copying historic architecture, we're learning from it and we're furthering the dialogue through what we learn and we're embracing it and, and adapting it to current times. I think there's a lot to be said for that and I think that it's something that should be definitely considered. But I know that there's so much personal sentiment and attachment to the icon. Mm. And when that icon is lost, it's hard to convince people that it's a good idea to change it. I think that people would much more see it re- recreated and re- like regain that attachment and be able to keep it. Yeah. Um, you know, I have to interject. <laughs> I have a master's degree in art and art history. I'd be dumbfounded if, you know, the, the rotunda, the building that was designed by Jefferson there at the University of Virginia, if that wouldn't be built back or to be burned down or something. And so right. I think that would be astounding. But then it sort of shocked me when, you know, now, so the the modern architecture, meaning the two twin towers done by Yamasaki in New York City, but they did, you know, none of that was respected in something completely new and also modern mm-hmm. went back in. So it was like clearing a site to build another modern building. So, you know, you have both examples right there. It's, I don't know how much respect do we have for modern architecture? <laughs> yeah, that, that is a good question. <laughs> and then the, the capstone is, it, is there's like, there's all these discussions in the, in the press that the, you know, architects are saying, well, maybe we put a, a modern spire back on Notre Dame. And I think that would be, mm-hmm. well, I think the Parisians probably think that's blasphemous. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's my mm-hmm. own opinion. Yeah, I know that that was not received well <laughs> at all. Um, yeah. But, yeah, and I don't, honestly, I don't think even the University of Virginia that it was founded on those principles of Thomas Jefferson, I don't think that they would, they wouldn't rebuild the rotunda with something modern if, if it were, you know, God forbid to yes. go away somehow. Um, they wouldn't. I don't think that they would, even even that school, I don't think they would do it. I think that they would rebuild it as is. They would restore it. Well, I suppose another example, so. in 1906, the earthquake hit California, and the school had, Stanford University had just finished commissioning the school and completely with the mosaic facade of the church. And so, sure enough, when the earthquake hit, the entire facade fell flat on its face into the quad, and the spire just a nosedive into actual sanctuary transept. So wow. the spire was not put back up? But the same craftsman that had just gone back home to Florence came back to completely reconstruct perfectly the front facade of the church. But they did not put the spire back up. And it is still a, an example of Romanesque architecture. But, yeah, well, anyway. Was, so was that for seismic reasons? They didn't restore the spire? Oh, no. The board never liked that spire. And Jane Stanford <laughs> had died three months before the earthquake happened. So she... Everything got commissioned, and then she died within maybe six months, and then the earthquake came three months post her death. And the board mm. never really wanted that spire there. So, wow, all these things, mm. architecture is what drives us, and we don't even know it. Oh, it really does. Mm. Yeah, that's why part of why the show exists, Jennifer. Also, I'm curious, what is the architecture scene, if there is a scene in Sacramento? The scene? If there is um, such a thing. There's definitely an architecture community through the AIA chapter, Mm -hmm. AIA Central Valley. 
It actually covers more than just the city of Sacramento. And they, you know, they're a very active chapter. I'm there probably involved on meetings with them probably on a weekly basis. And then there's also a very, there's a thriving design scene that expands outside of just building design that I think is pretty important. And I, I hope that the architecture community can get more involved with that as well. Specifically, I'm thinking about a group called Design Week, which is, I think it's an international phenomenon, but it's basically where a city will have a whole week of design-focused activities, focusing on the community and about different different types of designers in the city. So I'm actually getting involved in that as well. And that's happening, coming up here in about two weeks in, in Sacramento. Okay. Oh, that's um, very exciting. Who's the audience for that? Is it students or is it everybody, the whole community? Everyone. Everyone's invited. It's um, There's a lot of free events that are community-focused and specifically talking about diff, you know very focused aspects of the design scene. Um, there's a panel on design and business that I'm actually going to be speaking on. There's a panel about design and I think there's one called Design and Cannabis, which is talking about the, the new cannabis industry in California and how that relates to design. So, yeah, there's there's a lot of really good events that are happening. There's some about food. There's some about architecture, some about marketing. So I think that's important because that's, you know, when we can come together as a design community, that's where the magic starts happening, to bring back that word magic. Uh, yeah, you caught um, it. I was going to tell very good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, I have to remind you. you all, don't, um, don't, yeah, don't take it for granted that that goes on in, in any other country in the world where the design communities would come together like that because of the AII pushing that initiative. So that's very exciting. Yeah. Are you yeah, an officer? I think it's, or, uh... No, no. So that event actually is not through the AIA. That's a different oh, okay. community group. But And I'm not an officer of the AIA. I'm just involved in several different committees. Oh, I'll say. So you're, you're definitely... Uh, influencing your community for sure in a very positive way. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm hoping to influence and be influenced in return, I oh, think. Yeah. I think yeah, that's, that's community. That's the definition. Yeah. There was a, a music, I won't say it exactly correct, but I'll capture the essence of it was as a Frank Lloyd Wright quote, and it was on um, the business actually of architecture, and he says, uh, get off your expletive and get out and uh, meet with your clients, community, not community members, but your office people in the civic arena and uh, press the flesh. He says, you basically shake hands with people that mm-hmm. uh, you spent, you need to spend 40 hours doing that and 40 hours. He said on the machine and at the machine, probably hmm. at work, but what's your thought on that? I know I captured the essence of basically saying, as we talked about earlier, is you got to get out and actually meet people and show them your work so that they're aware of it and get into a dialogue with them about, you know, the importance of great design and how it affects human lives. Yeah, I completely 100% agree with that. I and mean, this kind of goes back to the question about balance and being able to, to do all of it at the same time. But I, I think that that's a priority and that's something that continues to inspire me in my practice on a daily basis, just to get out there and hear, hear the ideas that are current and hear the ideas that are relevant to the local scene. You know, the waterfront is an example of that. I think that that's a really, really important thing going on in Sacramento, but also on a larger scale, on a state, statewide scale, 
being involved in conversations about housing and AIA California recently hosted a conference on housing that I uh, traveled down to Newport beach for. Nice. And that was really awesome just to be in this room with probably 75 influential California architects in multifamily housing projects was just inspiring. And to hear them talk about these issues and to kind of be a fly on the wall and, yeah. and in this dialogue, <laughs> but I'm okay with that. I'm not, I'm not at a place where I'm necessarily influencing on that level, but it's, it's awesome to, be surrounded by those people. Yeah, you're moving there quickly. This is The Modern Architect, KZSU 90.1 FM, Stanford. The mission of the Safe Haven Animal Sanctuary is to provide care and a peaceful environment for abused, handicapped, aged, and homeless animals. They also offer adoption services and relocation for feral cats in Silicon Valley. Safe Haven is located in the South Bay area, and as always, seeking donations or volunteers to learn more, you can call 408-420-7233 or visit safehavenanimalsanctuary.org. We're talking today with Jennifer Munoz, architect and principal of Gen M Architecture, a full-service architecture and design studio based in Sacramento, California. For more information, you can visit genmarchitecture.com. That's genmarchitecture.com. Dot com. Jennifer, with the um, architecture constantly evolving, the expectations, uh, we think, evolve as well. What's, what's changed in your experience over the last, say, three to five years? I've seen kind of fully immersive design process becoming more relevant. And by that, I mean things like BIM 360 or the project management software that allows a project team to be streamlined from the very beginning to the very end of a project. So I think that that's been something that I've seen becoming more popular and more prevalent. It's something that I'd like to do more in my practice, but I don't necessarily work on that scale of project that that type of investment would be needed. But I I think that the virtual reality walkthroughs and the, interactive models that we can upload and allow clients to be involved in, those have become very popular and very important and something that I'm beginning to fold into my practice as well. Because I think that that opportunity to actually have a client walk through a space and be involved in that process and see what we're seeing when we're, we're walking through the models in our computers or when we're modeling by hand I think that that's that's important (laughs) and that that's something that's kind of been missing unless you're able to fold physical models into your practice yeah I'm going to touch back on that waterfront project if you if you will is how much do you feel that that would influence an entire city to have a waterfront not a project but a waterfront a beautiful waterfront for a city do you think that really uplifts a community or not necessarily maybe just that area? I think hugely it would, it would do amazing things for Sacramento. The waterfront, the old Sacramento waterfront neighborhood is actually very popular right now. It's already very popular tourist destination, but I think what it's lacking is the connection of the community that lives here. So having that 
opportunity to actually physically connect downtown to the waterfront, which I think is, is what needs to happen, whether that's happening through, you know, idealistically, it would be burying the five highway, um, oh. getting rid of that and okay. giving, making a more walkable city, but that's a huge, huge ticket item. But there are other ways to do that. But I, I think that that physical connection of the local community, not just the tourists coming here to see the history of the city will create a more dynamic and interactive waterfront and also be able to connect West Sacramento and the city of Sacramento in a nicer way. Right now it's kind of divided by the, by the river. Yeah. Do you have a vision that you're able to share of that? Even just to, just to chat about it? Yeah. So our, our design proposal is actually up on the city's website right now. So feel free to take a look, but basically it's, kind of very connected, walkable, wayfinding elements, ways that ways that people walking around the downtown bars and restaurants scene know how to get to the waterfront easily. Right now it's it's less of a it's not a very seamless connection and it's not very friendly connection. You kinda of have to go through a tunnel and go through a atrium space in another building and I think lots of, you know, bridges over roadways letting pedestrians kind of rule, rule the pedestrians take priority, having bars and restaurants that are family friendly on the waterfront and having a um, pedestrian mall on the waterfront as well. No cars. (laughs) (laughs) I think, I think moving, moving away from cars in that area will, will definitely help. Do you see that happening? Will movement away from vehicles in the future? Especially in the downtown and urban uh, urban environments, I think it has to. Oh, at some nice. point, it has to. Not even may, has to. I Is, think I think it has to. Yeah, and why? <laughs> for should, for many reasons. Okay, share with them. I love to hear. Um, yeah, I, I think from an environmental perspective, it's, that's one factor. I think also just from a density perspective, there's more and more people on this planet and our cities are just getting crowded and more and more crowded. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. I think we just have to think about ways to address it in a way that keeps the quality of life and keeps, keeps cities functioning. So I think cars, maybe they'll, maybe they'll still be around for many, many years, but I don't know that they're necessary in a, in a dense city proposition. Yeah. What's interesting is that you're basically completely, well, at least I'm thinking that too bad they didn't have your mindset when all this was originally designed. <laughs> well, <laughs> I think that the the times have changed so much and, and the things that are problematic about, about cars and cities right now ne- oh, weren't right. necessarily a problem. Yeah, that's true. Um, and it was so small so- and everything was walkable. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So now you have to. Yeah, okay. I, I understand. That's Thank part you. of the part of the joy of being a being a building professional is that we have to solve these problems as they come up over time because things are changing. Things are constantly changing with society, with population, with our culture. So it's up to us to to adapt, and that's mm-hmm. that's kind of the, part of the fun of it. <laughs> yeah. And so your clientele is. Primarily residential and multi-housing. Yes. Okay. Yeah, that's my 
that's my focus. And I, I think that home designing home is, is what I'd love to do. So yeah, I can tell there. I, like, I dabble in commercial, but <laughs> Oh, is it because not of as much requests or just your own curiosity? Mostly just as they come up as, as projects come my way. But I think designing spaces where we live and also restaurants are interesting to me as well because they're places where we gather. And I think that places where we come together as a community, whether it's on a small scale at home or it's on a larger scale in a community city setting and in restaurants and parks and public plazas, I think that those are the things that interest me. Yeah. Any particular, uh, you know, how else do you engage with prospective clients? They call it contact you, you contact them a little bit of both. I primarily operate on word of mouth and any, any publications that I've been in, if, if someone sees me there and my primary form of marketing is actually Instagram. So no way. It's been, wow. <laughs> yeah, That's great. it's actually, it's actually a lot of fun. It's where I show the process. I show the process of our work and what it takes to, to get from point A to point B. And yeah. I think that's important. I think it's important to, to teach people that buildings, good buildings take time and good, good buildings take process. And that's kind of goes back to your comment earlier about, trust in the creative process and as a as an architect that's important to to trust that if you sit down and really think about an idea enough you'll get to a place where you find the answer but it's also important to be able to explain that to our clients and explain that to the people who inhabit buildings but aren't necessarily trained in architecture yeah can you share with our audience where they can go on Instagram if they if they'd like to to see some of the work that we yeah of course <laughs> my account is Gen M Architecture and that's Gen with a G okay yeah so they could do that is that something you discovered that hey Instagram really is a great way to reach out to people and share you know what I'm doing for people uh, I would never I would never take credit for discovering Instagram. <laughs> It's such an amazing thing, actually. But no, I've definitely just seen, I've seen it done really well. And I've seen very inspiring accounts on Instagram that I I follow on a daily basis. I follow people who inspire me. And I think that that's, that was a big indicator that I, I could, I could put myself out there in that way. And it's also a great way to form connections and form community and be involved on a, kind of behind the scenes level. You're not, you're not necessarily as Frank Lloyd Wright would say, you're not getting off your ass and getting out of your office, but you're, yeah. Hey, there you go. Yeah, you that That's great. <laughs> what, which team? Um, on, I'm sorry. I interrupted you, Jennifer. Oh, I was just going to say that you're, you know, you're involved, but you're also able to be in the office at the same time. So I think social media is good and bad. I think it has really, really positive effects a great connection it's a great networking tool it's a great way to be inspired and to to put yourself out there but you know it's not the only answer yeah can you tell us again for our listeners which team on uh, the waterfront page is yours if you can recall yeah we're not we're not on the main page so we were in the open competition so we'll be on the secondary gallery 
for the open competition, but it was under my company name, under Kenham Architecture. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay, good. Thank you for, for clarifying. Yeah, but there's some, there's some really awesome projects from the five teams that were selected. They did some really nice work. You're so gracious. Is there anything you else would you like to share with us that we may not have touched on uh, in your show, Jennifer? Oh, wow. Not really. I think I think we've had a really good conversation. Yeah, thank you. I've enjoyed it, and you're so gracious in your recognition of uh, of other architects as well. Not not everyone is as uh, complimentary or even have a comment. <laughs> it's just gonna, <laughs> well, that's nice of you to say. Yeah, they, 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 I I recognize that this is a this profession has a very long history, and that I am just. You know, I'm I'm relatively at the beginning of my career, not necessarily the very beginning, but I recognize and respect the people that have put the time and then, you know, people who have been doing business for 30 plus years that I, re- I respect them <laughs> and I recognize them and they inspire me. So I think it's important to pay to pay those respects. Excellent. Well, Jennifer, I have to interrupt real fast because I'm really inspired by you and I'm really excited that your generation has up-and-coming architects like yourself. So it gives me great faith and hope that uh, everything's going to be taken care of for the next generation or two. So seriously, you've put a lot of work in to get your background and your degrees and all your licenses. And you're extremely committed. That comes across in everything it is that you say and you're articulating. Yeah, I really wanted to thank you for, for your choice of your career and for what you will be doing in the future for humanity because I believe that architecture is just fundamentally so important and it we don't want it to be ignored. People like you are going to make it shine. Well, that's incredibly flattering. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah, Jennifer, it's been a real honor and pleasure having you on our show today. Thank you very, very much. I'm inspired as well. It's been an honor for me. So thank you so much for the invite. And it's been wonderful talking to the both of you. Excellent. I hope you consider coming uh, on our show again uh, in the near future. Thank you. You've been listening to The Modern Architect. I'm Tom Dioro. Our guest today has been Jennifer Munoz, architect and principal of Gen M Architecture, a full-service architecture and design studio specializing in custom residential and multifamily projects. Jen also teaches interior architecture at California State University, Sacramento. For more information, feel free to visit genmarchitecture.com. Again, genmarchitecture.com. Join us again next time when we welcome another outstanding architect, engineer, influencer, or civic leader committed to positive and sustainable cities, communities, and lives. The Modern Architect is recorded at Stanford University Studios in Palo Alto, California, and on location in California, and is a production of KZSU Radio. Today, the recording engineer is Charlotte M. Thornton and Chief Engineer Mark Lawrence, and we're all assisted by Akshay Hyagi. And the executive producer and host of The Modern Architect is Tom Dioro. If you wish to contact us, our email address is interviews at kzsu.stanford.edu. Again, that's interviews with an S at kzsu.stanford.edu. Are you an architect, designer, contractor, or engineer? Modeler.com is a platform connecting architects and other specifiers with building product manufacturers. Modeler.com's engaged network of over 240,000 architects, designers, and construction professionals Use Modeler.com's tools to discover, discuss, and specify 
products appropriate for building projects. We at KZSU Stanford thank Modeler.com for the generous underwriting of production and broadcasting costs for The Modern Architect. <laughs>